Hello and welcome to Talking Flutes podcast. I'm Claire Southworth and I'm very excited today to talk via Skype to my great friend Gary Wolf, who's over in Munster in Germany. Hello, Gary. Hello, Claire. Well, lovely. To, I'm not only talking to you, of course, I can see you as well. Um, our friendship goes back a very long way. We have many connections. Where do you remember we first met? Gosh, well, I think we first met at your Lakelands flute course, but I didn't know of you before that because you were at the Ramsgate course, the Ramsgate Summer School. Um, but we first met on the Lakelands course. Yeah, and the Lakelands course was sort of the early 1990s, and I remember you as a very fresh-faced young student. Yes, I was probably 1920, I think, um, at the London College of Music Studying, and um, just soaking up everything I could, going to every kind of masterclass that was available, and so um, I came up to, to Lakelands. Yeah, they, they were lovely days. That was my first venture into doing a, a, a flute course. And uh, we had quite a lot of family there because my sister was in the kitchen cooking with my great friend Sebastiano, who was a clarinetist from yeah. college. Yeah, and he was the boyfriend of my um, first proper flute teacher, Katie Thomas, because before her, I had a guy who taught clarinet, and before him, I had a guy who taught oboe. So she was my first proper real flute teacher when I was 16 at the, the pre-professional music course in Cricklade. Yeah, so many connections. So our connections were then uh, the Leighton Flute Course, uh, the International Summer School at Ramsgate, Flute-wise we've both worked for, um, and then of course Waldingham. Mm -hmm. So lots of different flute courses. Um, and, and also... You had some private lessons with me back in London later on, didn't you? Yes, I did, yeah. That was um, probably after I'd, I'd finished college, actually, I think, in I those, think so. those few years after I'd... I'd because you know, I was at the, the Waldingham course from the very beginning. The first year I was a, a little student helper. I sort of half did the course and half helped. And then the year later, I was teaching there and I taught then right up until it, it finished. How, how long ago was that that it finished now? Oh, heck. Uh, six, maybe six years ago? Probably. Five or six? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I remember um, just before the first Waldingham course, because I was, I was always so impressed with your sort of natural musicality, and you had such good listening skills. Your ears are fantastic. I really wanted to have your ears. And I asked you to come and be sort of like a listening engineer on my very first CD recordings. Yes, that was, that was great. I was, that, was, that was a real honor, actually. And I just remember being thrilled sitting there listening to those recording sessions um, and eating lots of ice cream, I seem to remember. Oh, I don't remember the ice cream. Yeah, there was a it was a lovely recording studio, and they had like a big kitchen where we used to sat, we sit in the breaks. And he always had loads of the the, chat, the sounding the sound engineer had loads of hardened dust ice cream in the freezer. That's what I seem to remember. And I also seem to remember you being 
really, really tired at the end of the session and Timmy just saying, oh God, I'm just really warmed up now. Let's, let's do it again. And you, and you never could because you were so exhausted and he was just really ready to go all the time. I remember that. But having said that, I remember we recorded the, the, the Cesar Frank sonata and yep. we'd been recording all day and I hadn't mm-hmm. been happy with the beginning of the, the, the first movement of the Cesar Frank. And it was like about nine o'clock at night and, and Tim said, well, let's just go and do it now. And we'd, we'd just, we'd stopped and I was exhausted and I thought I was about to go to bed, but we just went into the recording studio and we did one take and that's the one we used. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, I really, I really needed your ears there because I knew I could trust what you were listening to. So it was, it was um, you know, very fond memories of those times. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then yes, Waldingham, you became as a student and then you rapidly became a very essential member of staff because you started doing some teaching and you, were, you, you played of course and did concerts and then you started conducting as well and you always used to run the flute choir there which was such a success. Oh, I love that. I, I love it. I, I, I mean, I, I never learned conducting at all. In fact, I'm just, uh, I've just got in contact with uh, the big conductor here in Munster who conducts the orchestra at the theatre, and I'm going to have some lessons with him finally, because up until now, I've done an awful lot of conducting, but I've never had any kind of training, never had any kind of lessons. It was learning by doing back in the old Brighton days before I moved to Germany when I was working for Brighton and Hove Council. Um, I was just thrown in the deep end, and on a Saturday morning we had ensembles, and on a Saturday morning, I had three flute ensembles of various um, levels that I had to, to run and conduct. And so that's where I kind of learned it, really, really learning by doing. And that's one of my, it's become one of my favourite things, conducting ensembles. And I've got a really lovely um, youth string orchestra that I now conduct here in Germany, which is one of my, my favourite things to do in the week. But yeah, that was back in those days. Just learning by doing, really, and I used to love doing the the flute choir at, at Waldingham. It was great because you had all those wonderful players from all over the world that were really kind of fit and they could sight read everything. So it was really fun doing that. Yeah, I, well, you 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 definitely had a great gift for that. You just reminded me of something else. You 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 played also, didn't you? In was it London flutes? Yes, I did play in London flutes, and <laughs> yes, I did. But before that, I played. Um, a lot of years in Flortissimo in Southampton, you know, Robin Soldan's Flute Orchestra, yes. which is where I met Helen Brew. Um, and uh, that was always one of my favourite things. I always played alto flute in that, funnily enough. I didn't play normal flute, I played alto flute. I think back in those days we had two alto flutes and one bass flute, and no one wanted to play the bass flute because it stank of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> It was really revolting, but I played alto flutes back in those days. But yeah, I did play in London flutes. That was great. That was and I remember um, one concert, yeah, um, where we where we played the Teddy Bears Picnic as an encore, and I missed I missed the coda or the da capo, and I ended up playing a massive massive solo at the end all by myself and not really realizing that everyone else was staring at me because we should have stopped. I just carried on and carried on. It was really, I, then I, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. remember. I don't remember that bit. No, but obviously, obviously it fitted. But we had we had a great lineup, didn't we? Because we had um, Danny Palethorpe. Mm-hmm. We also had Karen Jones, Louise Matthew, Luke Strevens, 
And I think you did play bass flute, Gary. Yes, I did. I played bass flute. And Luke Strevens played the other bass flute. Um, and um, Joran Markerson was there as well. He played. Yeah. And of course, the lovely Louise, my sidekick kick from Waldingham. Yeah, and that, it was a, an incredible choir. I remember the first rehearsal I organised and the noise, the sound this group of players made was unbelievable. It was incredible, the richness, the depth of sound. It sort of blew me away, literally. That was really, that was a real big adventure, actually, that you managed to get all those players together and, and also in one room at the same time. It's so so difficult I, I i've learned that myself the more players you have the more difficult it is to, to to get them together for a rehearsal i don't know how you managed to do that but it was amazing really yeah i don't know either but it was it was great great fun so moving on i i remember um we're back going back to 1999 and um i was in southwold to watch the the eclipse um on august the 11th and we just yes. done Weldingham, and you came to Southworld, and this was the day before you moved to Germany. Yes, it was. So I was up in that part of the world because that's where my family now lives. And um, I remember that really, really vividly. Um, first of all, because the 11th of August is my birthday, um, but the, the solar eclipse, that was just, um, the, just this really kind of incredible, strange kind of light that I have in, in my memory and that was the, the day we moved yeah I remember carrying all our all our furniture up and down the stairs at our little flat in Brighton not that we had that much furniture but um, yeah and we and we drove all the way to Germany on that day and how, that was when I, I was just going to say how bizarre that's another connection because you moved from Brighton and now I'm in Brighton yes I know <laughs> I worked there for two years it was great actually um, I wasn't very happy whilst I was there but looking back, um, it wasn't that bad. And I loved living in Brighton. I'm really very jealous that you live there now. It's really a great place to live. I, I, I moved three times. I had three little flats whilst I was living there. Um, and and the, uh, I just love the atmosphere of the town. It's just one of, the, one of the best places I've lived. It's certainly much, much better than living in London anyway. It, it is a fantastic place. It's vibrant and diverse and energetic. It, it's brilliant. So, moving to Germany, very, very brave. Tell us how you managed in those early days, because I don't think you spoke German then. No, I did. Well, you see, I'd, I'd had, I had a connection with Germany because when I was at school, in my third year, I was 13 or something, uh, we had an exchange with a German school in a little town on top of a hill called Tecklenburg, which isn't too far from the from Munster where I now live. So I had that exchange and that connection, and I was really lucky because I landed in a family of musicians. So um, that was the kind of the start of my connection, and um, we kept in contact all those years. But um, yeah, I moved. I moved there in 1999, couldn't speak German, so the first thing I did was I went to school to learn the, the language. I think if you live in an, another country, that's the first thing you have to do is learn the language so you can integrate and, and, and work and live in that country. So that was the first thing I did. I went to school Monday to Friday from nine till one o'clock and, and learned German for two years, in fact. I mean, after about, I think after about three or four months, I got my first little teaching job so I could speak quite well after after a few months but I continued 
because after the first year you got a special certificate and after the second year we, we got a, a certificate from the Goethe Institute which is a kind of a, an accepted level that you can read and write and speak the language and um, so that's why I continued learning even though I was I was already teaching one, one day one day a week. Yes, that's that's really quite something, Gary. I think that's uh, you know you should be immensely proud of just being able to do that. It's a, a very very brave move. Yeah, I, I suppose it was brave, but I didn't really think about it at the time. It was all kind of a bit naive the move to Germany. Really looking back, but um, yeah, I never really thought I was good at languages at school. I wasn't really interested and I think I failed my French and German O level um, but it's, to, it's, it's much different when you live in the country and you want to, you want to stay there. Um, I had a motivation to learn it and I had great teachers um, and I learned it very, very quickly even though when I came home from school I still spoke English with, with, my, with my husband um, but uh, 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 yeah and I I don't think twice about it now. No, but not only then were you learning a new language and integrating then into a new country, but you also were having to restart your career um, and get playing going and more teaching and then conducting. So you've you've got lots of um, chamber groups now, haven't you? Yeah, I have. That that wasn't easy at the beginning, actually. That was something I also didn't really think about. I had this massive network of people and and groups and orchestras that I played with. And when I moved to Germany, I had nothing. It, it was really beginning from the beginning with nothing, not knowing anybody. But it's pretty amazing how quickly you get to know people through music. I joined two choirs and... Um, and through those choirs, I got to know certain people, and um, I just ended up putting up adverts at the conservatoire here in Munster to try and, f and at the university to try and find people to play with. No one knew who I was, so I just put up looking for a pianist, and I found one one lady, a Russian lady, who played for me at the beginning. Um, but I quickly quickly noticed that the chemistry wasn't right, you know. I think that's something that, that I've learned. That's the most important thing. When you play chamber music, you have to have a real chemistry with the other person because it's almost, it's, 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 it becomes a relationship when you when you play in small chamber groups and it's very intimate. Um, so I learned that very quickly. But uh, along the way, I met, I met some wonderful musicians. At the beginning, funnily enough, they were all foreigners as well. I uh, met a, a guitar player at the first music school where I was teaching. He was in the room next door. So I just went into his room one day and said, hey, do you fancy playing together? And um, he said, yeah, okay. And he lived in Munster as well. He was a student at the conservatoire. And we played together once. And at the end of it, he said, oh, you know what? Mm, I've got so much work to do at the, at the conservatoire and my exam's coming up. And uh, I think he tried to kind of... Kind of get out of it, really, um, which I was kind of glad about. I, I, I didn't feel the, the, the chemistry there either. But he said to me, I've got a friend. He said, why don't you try playing with him? And he was um, a chap that I then met. And after the first note, I thought, yeah, this is going to work. And he was a guy from Venezuela called Jose Hernandez. Uh, he's got a, an artist name. He's called Seth Alberts now. And um, I met him and we had the most marvellous um, 
duo relationship. He taught me so much about Latin American music, and um, that was the main the main um, thing in our programs was Latin American music. And um, he he had a friend who wrote us a piece, a little suite for flute and guitar, um, and we just played as much. Uh, music out from his homeland and from 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 South America is that, that we could kind of get our hands on. He was great. I mean, he's a composer himself, and he, he arranged all the stuff for us. Um, so that was that was the beginning of of my playing really in Germany, finding him, and then through him, I then started meeting other people. Um, he pulled me into an orchestra at the at the Conservatoire. We played uh, Piazzolla's Tango Opera, Maria de Buenos Aires. Um, I don't know why they didn't get a, a flute player from the Hochschule, from, from the from Conservatoire. They asked me, so uh, because my guitarist was playing in it, and so I, I kind of got dragged into doing that. And sitting next to me in that orchestra for the tango opera was an accordion player. He wasn't playing an accordion, he was playing a bayan, and that's a Russian concert accordion, which has um, buttons instead of a keyboard. And it's a very special kind of accordion. He was sat next to me. I thought, my God, this guy, he's great. I'd love to work with him. And then I found out years later that he sat next to me thinking exactly the same. Um, so I just bluntly asked him, I said, would you fancy playing together? And, and I mean, there isn't really much music for flute and accordion, but but we, we found stuff and had a really kind of mixed program from Bach to, to Piazzolla and everything in between and um, lots of crossover music, lots of jazz. Um, through him I learned a bit of improvising and um, he he had a couple of other musicians that he sometimes played with, a guitar player and a fantastic double bass player and we had some real fun playing playing crossover music and jazz music in, in, in that ensemble. So that all this uh, carries a great, a great example to people about how you can make contacts contact with people and gradually build up a musical musical career um, by the people you meet and asking around and trying different combinations oh yeah absolutely um and i was really inspired by um a concert at waldingham one year when the saxophones joined us Rob Buckland played an evening with his percussionist Simone Rebello, she called yes, it, I think, yes. and she turned up with these amazing instruments that I'd never seen and never really heard, marimbaphone, a bass marimbaphone, monster of an instrument, and, and vibraphone, and I was so inspired by that um, that I went straight back to Germany and I hunted for a, a, a marimbaphone player, and it just so happened when I got back, there was a concert in the church in Münster with... Um, would you believe it, organ and marimbaphone. There are actually pieces for that combination. And I went to this concert, and after the concert, I went up to this this lovely um, French lady who was playing um, the marimbaphone, and I said, hey, do you fancy doing some playing? And she kind of looked at me with enormous eyes and, and thought probably that I was an absolutely crazy man. But um, she said, yeah, okay. And so we started playing together, and I still play with her now sort of that's that was 15 years ago Fantastic. we still played together we had a little break in the middle because she had two kids but um we've we started playing together again last year and it's 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 an amazing combination it it it, it fascinated me um that kind of sound with, with with percussion and um and there's a lot of music out there for that combination yeah. so and it's know. different it's original and it's a, a new sound world now talk about being sort of inspired, I remember at Waldingham when you played a piece 
uh, a new piece by Geraldine Green and thinking what beautiful, beautiful music. And that has led to a great collaboration, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Well, um, it was in fact, um, I must have been enthusing about the flute concerto that she wrote me. Um, back in the London College days, we played in an orchestra called the London 20. And a, a piece of hers was played, a, a really quirky piece for bass, clarinet and strings. And I absolutely loved it. And I went to her to the pub afterwards and said, hey, can you write me a piece? What do you think? And she sort of said yes. Um, and and started working on it. But then that was the kind of the point where I was leaving London and went to Brighton. And um, so I didn't see her anymore. And then I was only in Brighton two years and then I moved to Germany. So we lost contact, unfortunately. But years later, through Facebook and through the conductor who'd conducted that orchestra where we met, I got in contact with her again. And I think I must have been enthusing about this flute concerto that she then finished and I premiered in England and then later in, in Germany. I must have been enthusing about that with you and um, saying how beautiful her music was and that she wrote beautiful melodies. And you mentioned that you were doing this vocalise book or planning it. And I said she would be a perfect composer for that because she writes really beautiful melodies. And then you commissioned her to write that little nocturne that's in that book. And on the back of that, she wrote me the Oakmount nocturne, which I then... Um, I premiered at Waldingham. I played the Nocturne and I played the Oakman Nocturne. And um, yeah, that was the beginning of a really fantastic relationship that continues to, to today. I mean, I think she's written for my youth string orchestra over the years. She's written me 14 pieces. That's incredible. It's just incredible. And that she's having a whale of a time because she's learned so much having to um, write for, for a youth string orchestra is much different than just letting everything come out the way it comes out when she composes she has to kind of rein herself in and make sure that it's it's not in in horrible keys for string for string instruments and that it's not too complicated for for the third fiddles and she always gets an update from me who's sitting where and what they can do and how difficult it's allowed to be and over the years we've got this wonderful collection of pieces um, and, and a few of them i've actually recorded with the kids a while back we, we made a recording of the first pieces that she's written but yeah I've got 14 pieces that she's written from my string orchestra amazing and it wasn't really um, I didn't really commission them in the beginning actually because um, she's a bit wary about that because she's never sure about how much time she's going to have because she's she's a mother and she's got kids and her, her boy Edward has Down syndrome so she has a lot of appointments with him at the hospital and um, has to be there 24-7 with him basically so composition gets put on the side a bit um, and if a piece comes and it comes and it's ready when it's ready but the joy for her has been um, the discovery of Sibelius that she can type it into the computer and then as soon as she sends it to me, we start working on it and she gets a performance and a recording and, and not just one performance, but, but, but several performances. And that, I think that's a real amazing thing uh, for a, a composer to have nowadays. The fact that their works even get played once is, is, is almost a luxury. Yeah. And well, I remember um, when I heard the, the flute concerto um, being struck by how beautifully melodic it was and, and how it really sort of drew us in as listeners when we heard it um, and I was you know I'm, I'm very happy that I managed to sort of get that published and get the other works 
published because it's important to hear good music and she writes really good music. So for all our listeners now, go and have a listen to Geraldine Green. Absolutely super writing. Absolutely, that was the thing that really struck me because I've always been um, a very kind of expressive uh, flute player, I think, and those were the kinds of pieces that always attracted me. Um, so it's 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 the it's the perfect it's the perfect partnership, really, her music and um, and the fact that uh, you know she writes also for my for my trio flute violin and piano i've always kind of got unusual combinations she's written amazing pieces for us it started with the trio which we've finally done a a video production of and it's up on youtube so go and look at geraldine green's trio um and you'll find those videos there we recorded it in a marvelous baroque concert hall that's not far from munster where i live beautiful beautiful building beautiful acoustic They've renovated the entire inside, apart from the very front of it, which looks rather black on the video, and they've left it in its original state. But the rest of it's been been um, done up, and uh, it has the most beautiful acoustic in there. And we're really thrilled with the videos. Um, so yeah, she's and she's she just keeps bombarding us with pieces. I mean, it's it, it maybe she'll write the trio. At one piece a year, and for the, the the string players, one piece a year. She doesn't have an awful lot of time. The thing is with Geraldine, she still writes with pencil and paper. She can't do it any other way. Well, when, that, that's which is again fantastic. You know, to ha- have someone that's just a little bit quirky and does things a little bit differently. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then once it's once it's done, she then types it into the computer program and I, I, I got her into that computer program because she, when she wrote me the flute concerto um, she would have written everything out by hand and I said don't be silly, send me the score Sc- you know, scan the score in, send it to me she didn't even know how to do that, she sent it to me by post, she made a photocopy of the score and sent it to me by post and I spent I spent every evening for an awful lot of weeks typing that score in for flute and harp and strings because um, it's it's half an hour long. It's only two two movements, but it's half an hour long. It's a massive piece, and so she was thrilled because you know with a mouse click you can extract all the string parts, you can extract the flute part, you can extract the heart part, and it's done within a second. Whereas she would have spent months handwriting the parts. It's crazy, um, but yeah, she, she she had learned that. That I was just going to say that that Sibelius program is fantastic. I've called she's that too. And I remember years ago writing everything out by hand. And now to get it all just down on your computer and be able to adjust things very easily, it's um, a game changer, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And she's, she's thrilled with it. Um, still can't, she still can't compose with it, but um, it's certainly a very useful tool for her once, once the score's finished. That she'll then type it in. Yeah, um, so we should all be very grateful for you for making that connection. And we now have so many more pieces in our repertoire, which is absolutely brilliant. Long may it continue. Now, what about you? What are your plans for the future? Well, I'm I'm really quite happy in in my my current state. Um, I been teaching for 15 years at a a music school here in Germany, um, which kind of 
includes three little villages, um, Graven, Emsdetten and Zabek. And I'm, I love my job there because it's so diverse. I, I, I don't just teach the flute. I have a, a recorder consort that I direct. That's um, six adults, six ladies. I call them my ladies. Um, I love that. Um, I conduct the youth string orchestra, which, which is my favorite thing in the week, I think. And um, a few years ago, I started an adult flute ensemble, which we only meet once every three weeks on a Saturday morning. But I love that. It's sometimes hard to get up on a Saturday and, and, and drag myself up there. But as soon as they, they play the first piece, we have a warm-up piece. We always play the Sally Gardens to warm up. And as soon as they play that, I think, yeah, now I know why I'm here. It's, it's a joy. It's a big, big joy for me to work with these adults who just love playing their flutes and love playing together and love playing music together. It's, it's a real, real big joy. And I've taught theory and, and oral in the past at at the music school. I, I don't do that at the moment, uh, but that's something I really love doing. It's, it's kind of a bit different over here, Claire. We don't have any kind of associated board exams or any kind of equivalent. Um, so a lot of that kind of stuff that, that's required um, is kind of left to the side, really. And if anyone wants to audition at the conservatoire, they, they're expected to, to know theory and, and oral tests um, and they all, they all, it's crazy. It's like normal over here to do a crash course six weeks before your audition at music college to do theory and oral. And everyone fails the theory test and everyone fails the, the oral test. And they just get in on their, on their, their playing merits, really. It's crazy. So I, I really try over here, even though it's not required for any kind of examination or any kind of entry exam I try to make sure my kids know a little bit of theory and we do a little bit of oral you know that's 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 my that's my past that I bring with me um, having done all those associated board exams for flute and piano and and, and very grateful that, that my piano teacher insisted that I didn't just have half an hour piano lesson that I also had half an hour theory lesson and so all those years of piano lessons that I started when I was seven I also had years and years of theory and I loved it I loved theory um, so I'm very grateful about that and so I try and I try and pass that on to my kids over here although it's not really kind of a requirement for the music school where I work I'm, I'm, I'm very free my boss who unfortunately is just retired we have a new boss um, but he was very um, he just let me do whatever I like really <laughs> I was allowed to do what I liked and, and he was very flexible and understood that I was also not just a teacher but an artist who, who needed that kind of freedom. That was something that's really important that I found a balance between my teaching and my playing work. And if I happened to have a concert where I needed to travel to the other end of Germany and I missed a couple of days of teaching, I was allowed to do that. I just needed to make the teaching up. It was never a problem because he himself was a player and knew how important that was for me as an artist to be able to continue doing that as well as as well as teaching at the music school. I think he, he really appreciated um, my skills and um, and and that was nice to know that I could I could continue to do that without feeling bad. Yeah, so it's, it sounds that you've been also then very lucky in the, the people that you've met which have enabled yeah. you to, uh, to to blossom and to shine and to do all the things that you wanted to do. So I think you're a great example to all those music students coming out of college who maybe 
are not going to go straight into an orchestral job, but can see that you can develop a very varied and diverse career doing lots of really exciting things because you, you play so much, you do wonderful teaching, you've got your conducting, um, you've really got a very balanced career going on there. Yeah, I, tr I try to keep it balanced. It's not always easy. Sometimes the schoolwork takes over and I have less playing. Sometimes there's lots of playing and not much time for the school. Um, and at the moment, I'm having a, I'm having a, uh, a bit of a, a massive school working um, period. Um, I've had a pupil who entered the the competition here in Germany. They have a competition called Jugend Musiziert. It's, it's a kind of equivalent to the Young Musician of the Year. It's not televised like it is in England, but um, they have three rounds. They have a like a a, a round. Um, sort of the from the town they come from then they have a county round there's there's this um bundesländer here in germany there's 12 or 13 bundesländer and then when they get through the second round they go through to the final round which is always in one particular town where they compete against everyone else in their age category and in their instrument it's a massive massive competition and i've had pupils in the past that have got through right to the last round and won the first prize um it's it's it is lovely to do that to see how how much progress they make when they have to work so intensely on on a piece of music that they have to then perform for that competition. And I had a lovely group this year, um, flute and cello and piano, and that was a, a working project with two of my colleagues from the music school. They they picked out their best pupils. Um, funnily enough, the cello player and the piano player were sisters. And I had a, a private pupil from mine in Munster, and we, we chucked them together as an ensemble, and it was fantastic. And in fact, Geraldine um, wrote a little tango for that that little uh, little group for the competition, which always really went down well. And they played the Damas Sonate en Concert, um, which is on your your recording that I sat and listened to. Um, love that piece. And um, another little French piece. They, they had to play three different... Um, um, periods of music so we had romantic and modern and then the, the very modern one from Geraldine where she wrote lots of percussion in the flute parts and lots of pizzicatos and, 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 and exciting sort of modern techniques she, she incorporated into this piece for me so that it could, it could qualify for the for the modern category she kind of um, transformed it for me because it was originally a piano piece and then a piece for my string orchestra then she wrote a massive orchestral version of it for me for our little trip that we do once a year to France with a, a, an exchange orchestra that, that I conduct. And then she kind of transformed it for that little group that, that played in the competition. So, so it's like having was, a, a resident composer, isn't it? It is. Well, actually, you say that, it, but she has really become a resident composer for our music school. I mean, she's written so much music for my youth string orchestra. And she's also very grateful that she's been able to have that opportunity because it's a lovely learning curve for her as well she started learning the cello as an adult so she knows a lot about string writing um, and string playing and that's that's her, her big forte i think she's a massive fan of john williams and of corn gold and all of those lush string sounds that you have from those composers and and you can hear that that, that she's really kind of influenced by film writing and i think that's what makes it so attractive for for the listening public but also these beautiful melodies that she writes that have that kind of melancholy from that you find in Irish melodies um, I find that so attractive but also she writes really crazy quirky comical bits as well uh, it's 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 interesting to see how she's 
how her writing has developed because at the beginning it was all very safe and, and these beautiful melodies and it's developed I think because um, it's almost always a reflection of what's happening in her life at that particular time when she writes a piece she lets that kind of cross over into her music so and because it's her life's in kind of a bit of turmoil at the moment her pieces have become very dissonant the last piece she wrote for the trio is called Gallop. It's a little two-minute presto um, piece, um, perpetuum mobile almost, and um, it's a real crazy dissonant piece that you would never imagine that Geraldine Green would write, but it's really fantastic and fun. And um, I asked her to write a little piece for my boss because he, he left the music school and she dedicated it to, to him. And that's a lovely piece full of kind of jazzy chords that I would never expect to hear from Geraldine Green. So, so it's so always music that we should, sorry to interrupt you, so it's music that we need to sort of investigate a little bit further. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know that there's a couple of new pieces that are being planned that are also very, very dissonant. Um, but I, I love that. I love the fact that every new piece we get is, is, is so different. She wrote a beautiful piece for us a couple of years ago for viola and alto flute called Window. Um, at, at my request, because I, she'd written a piece um, for her local flute ensemble, lovely piece that she wrote, um, and she got to know the bass flute and the alto flute, and I told her I had a, an alto flute, so she wrote this piece, and also my the, the fiddle player in my trio, Matthias, he also plays viola. So she wrote a piece for piano and viola and alto flute. Absolutely beautiful. So, so, um, so that's, which is great, Carol. Lovely, lovely to hear. And I said, I think we need to investigate her music a little bit further. Now, let's let's uh, move on just before we finish. Um, what do you do in your in your free time? What hobbies do you have? <sighs> Well, mostly I travel. Wonderful. My, my husband's a, a travel agent, um, and so he sits on the source of all the bargains that you can get. And um, because I'm a teacher, of course, I'm restricted to school holidays. Yes. Um, which, of course, makes it a little bit more expensive, but um, he always searches out the most fantastic holidays for us, and um, we go away in every single school holiday. So we go away in the summer, we go away at Christmas, we go away at Easter, um, we go away in the autumn half term. But also, if, if I happen to have a free weekend where I'm not playing or I'm not directing a group, um, then we go away for a weekend, mostly to Holland, because we live about 40 minutes from the Dutch border here in Münster. So we often flit over to Holland, especially on a Sunday. Sunday they have the shops open in Holland, Sunday they don't have the shops open in Germany, so sometimes we even drive all the way to Holland just to have a cup of coffee and sit out on the lovely, beautiful market in Enschede. But Fantastic. we've fallen in love with Holland. We 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 visited a lot, and we 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 visited all the the major towns, and we just love it there. Yeah. Well, Garrett, you know it's it's been lovely to to hear you talk about uh, all your experiences and your life. It's a fascinating life, and. Um, Thank you so much for, for giving us your time. Oh, and you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Good. And I wish you all the success that you deserve uh, for the coming years. Thanks for, oh, talking to, thanks for talking to us, Gary. Thank you. Thanks for talking to me. Bye for now. Bye.
Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.